When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's happening, everybody? Welcome into a brand new episode of Crossed Up. I'm Bob Wankel alongside Anthony Sanfilippo, who is back from his week-plus stint in Florida. Welcome back to the beautiful, the beautiful greater Philadelphia region, Anthony. How are you? Yeah, it's a little bit little bit different here than it was there. Yeah, A little you know, bit different. You actually pu- missed a, a wretched stretch of weather up here, too. <laughs> so at least when you landed yesterday, you got like 58 and sunny, but... Uh, it has not been awesome up here. I will say that. Yeah, I mean, you know, the last couple of days, uh, with yesterday aside, uh, the last couple of days in Clearwater actually weren't great. Uh, we had some rain, a uh, little bit of rain on Wednesday. Um, it was chilly. Like I actually actually had to put on long sleeves while I was oh, down it's there. It's chilly. Was it like sixty four? No, it actually was in the upper 50s. It was okay. actually in the upper. And the evenings were colder. I mean, like those those two days, it was it got down to probably like, you know, upper 40s, uh, those those two days. But I can't complain. The rest of the time was 80 degrees and beautiful during the day and 65 at night, sit outside to eat. It was great. It was awesome. Yeah, obviously, we recorded earlier in the week and we talked about some of your, your observations down there. But the reason why I sort of you know, bring it up and say, hey, you're back from Clearwater, is now that you're back and you've had some time to sort of process and digest everything that you saw down there, I guess let me let me pose a question to you in, in this way. Mm-hmm. Are you um more optimistic, more concerned, or about where you were when you first departed to go to Clearwater in terms of where this team's at entering the season? Well, I'll t- I, 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 I'm going to hedge slightly, Bob, because I think a lot in my mind depends on what comes out as far as Ranger Suarez and and what he's able to do. Um, yeah, there are concerns because their depth, their pitching depth got depleted in the last couple of weeks, like significantly so. Um, and so, of course, that's an issue, right? Um, but Nola looked pretty good in his last outing. Wheeler looked good yesterday. They're, they're both ramping up. Um, Guy we haven't even talked about, and only because he hasn't been with the Phillies in camp. But man, Taiwan Walker's start in the World Baseball Classic was was something that you should be, you know, really excited about. It was a really good start um, in a, in a competitive environment, right? Um, so that's good. So when you look at that, I mean, if they can get Suarez back and he's healthy, and there's no real issues from this arm tightness, and they. They seem to think like that's it's going to be the case. He went three straight days throwing, twice off flat ground, and then he did long toss yesterday. As long as there's no ramification from that and they can build him back up and get him ready to start the season, then I'm probably where I was all along because the bats have been fine. Like They've really been, you know, for the most part, hitting the ball. Um, but if Suarez can't come back and we start here, well, he's going to need a little bit of time. Might not be ready to start to see. And now Bailey Falter becomes your four and Michael Plassmeyer becomes your five. Then I start to go, well, that's not the most ideal situation. Well, it, it does seem like just trending in a uh, cautiously optimistic and positive direction for Ranger Suarez. As you said, he's thrown multiple days in a row. I toss on the 16th on Thursday. Uh, I guess my question is, did you get any read, any additional read? Like I know right now the messaging is, We'll see where he's at on Friday, on St. Patrick's Day. If all goes well, maybe he progresses to a bullpen sometime next week. And then the idea is that he starts the season on the opening day roster, may not be fully ready, may not even go his first time through the rotation, but that this is almost just a minor delay that they can kind of survive by manipulating the off days early in the season, not a, a situation where it's going to require an IL stint. If he goes on the IL, I will, I will be a little bit concerned by that. 
whether or not obvious, I don't know, but this is one of these situations where you're like, okay, are we talking about being delayed by 10 days or being delayed by 40 days? Right. Now that's a, that's a fair point. And I think that you're right on with that. And yeah, I would still be optimistic if they say, look, we got, he's not going to slot right into that number three spot where you kind of expected him. We're going to kind of treat him like the number five starter for the first week or two of the season, just to kind of make sure that he's built up enough and ready to go. Okay. I'm still good with that. Right. I mean, I'm still comfortable with that being the case. So yeah, no, I, I, I would be cautiously optimistic. The only other thing is, is they've lost so much depth that they really don't even have a long guy, you know, in the bullpen at, at this point. It, it, they don't, they really aren't going to have anyone. Um, they're going to have to build up, and Thompson talked about this, they're going to have to build up guys who are normally one-inning guys, could go a little longer, you know, maybe an inning and a third, inning two-thirds, those kind of guys. They're going to have to build them up a little bit to maybe, if needed, be able to throw, you know, three innings if necessary, especially early in the season. And names that he mentioned, I mean, he he mentioned um, Marte as a, you know, because I think that that's the guy that's going to get the last bullpen spot at this point. But they mentioned him, mentioned Brogdon, mentioned um, Bellotti, mentioned Strom. So those four guys uh, are the guys that the Phillies are going to try and get multiple innings out of or, you know, longer innings out of that aren't traditionally long relievers. So, I mean, that's a, that's if you're looking for one kind of maybe red flag, like, oh, they don't really have that guy, that's maybe the thing that you sit there and say, I, I don't know where that's going to go uh, as you go into the season. Yeah, and, and as you kind of look at where this thing stands right now, injuries are becoming part of the picture. They are becoming part of the conversation. But they're sort of right on the brink. Like, you talked about depth. They are having their depth tested right now on these fringe pieces, back end of the bullpen, do they have to kind of uh, dance around two weeks into the season, make the starting pitching work? But they haven't really had that that massive that massive injury that has a, an immediate impact on what the product looks like, the way that a team up the turnpike has here in recent days. And we can get to that in a moment. I actually have a couple questions for you and like to talk about what happened in the World Baseball Classic with Edwin Diaz. But I, I think that's where I'm at right now. I'm not overly concerned because these aren't things that should be bleeding into the opening date product, but they could be issues down the line. When you look at a guy like Nick Nelson, now I don't know about your latest roster projection, but I didn't have Nick Nelson making the, the opening day roster. I, I did not. No, neither did I. I mean, he wasn't having a great spring, um, and then he has, you know, we didn't know what the injury was. We just know that he wasn't, being used in a handful of games and then all of a sudden it's it's a hamstring injury and it's a pretty big one and it's going to keep him out for a little while so um yeah i mean nick nelson would came into camp as a guy that they were mentioning as a potential candidate for the number five spot you know that they were going to look at and they, so you kind of thought okay well if he doesn't win that he could probably kind of slot into the role he was last year which is that last guy in the bullpen long reliever and then all of a sudden he's not throwing and that, that becomes a, you know, now, now what, now where does Nick Nelson go? And, you know, we were like, oh, I guess this guy's, you know, they don't like him enough to make the team. It turns out that he's got a pretty good hamstring injury. So, um, yeah, I didn't have him. I didn't think he was going to make the team, but certainly now he's going to start the season on the IL. So I think now is actually a pretty good point to talk about where things sit in the, the NL East and where the Phillies kind of stack up at the moment. Like we, haven't made predictions to this point. We're not making predictions today. But one thing that's interesting is, obviously, the Mets lose one of the best closers in the game. And I know that you and I both talked a, a couple weeks ago about Edwin Diaz and, and potential regression. Could he have another season that that he had last year? And, and I don't know if he could or he couldn't. I'm not sure. But what I do know is that he was arguably one of the two or three best closers, if not the best closer in all of baseball last year. And he is is a massive weapon that can shorten games. And now the Mets don't have him. And I know that the Mets have talent. I know that they have other options in that bullpen. But I don't think that you can overstate the importance of, of that and the significance of that injury. And my immediate thing is, wow, this, this potentially opens the door for the Phillies. Or this potentially really opens the door for the Braves, who a lot of people kind of think are are really the true favorite in this division anyway because they've run it for so long. I, I guess my my initial question, because this is a Phillies podcast, is, you know, does the does this injury 
make the path easier for the Phillies, or is it is it an oversimplification to just say, ah, big injury, you know, hey, it just got a lot easier? Yeah, well, uh, look, I, uh, you know me, right? I, I've, I, I'm one of those few people who's not always been as high on the Mets as everyone else's. I'm not trying to say that they weren't a good team or, or still aren't a good team. I think they are. I just don't think that they are what everybody, you know, every year makes them out to be like, oh, this is this team's going to be unstoppable. I always see flaws in, in their setup and I still and I still do. And I felt that the bullpen for the Mets was a flaw this year, even with Diaz at the back end. Now you take him out of it. And of course, you know, Steve Cohen could go out and you know, say, hey, you know, trade for some guy who's got some ridiculous contract and I, I, don't, I don't care. I'll still pay it. And, you know, they maybe the Mets do bring in a, a guy that can kind of fill that role from another team that becomes available. Okay, fine. But I'm not a fan of the rest of their bullpen. I, I, I'm i not confident in a David Robertson. I'm not confident in Adam Adovino. I mean, he's a guy who's had some fluctuation in his career as well. Um, and the rest of the pen's not, not that great. So I look at it and say, I, I didn't think that they were that great to begin with, but now you take their best reliever out of the mix. Hey, I, and their starters are are older who don't throw seven, eight, nine inning games anymore. I mean, who's who's getting you to the, to the end of the game? I I just don't see it. So yeah, I do think Bob. I I do think that this is a difference maker enough under the current roster conditions to say the Phillies. And I had the Phillies ahead of the Mets anyway. In the in the division, I, in my mind, I thought that I thought that the Braves are still, and I still think the Braves are the class of the division. But I had I thought the Phillies and Mets would be close, but I thought that the Phillies would maybe you know just be a little bit better. I I, I think now that there's there's a gap, I wow. do, and I think it's because of a, of a very weak bullpen in New York. Yeah, so it's it's kind of interesting. I immediately went to uh, a couple of the different sportsbook apps, and I said, "Did this really shift the odds? Like, did this have a a seismic impact on on what we're looking at and how this thing's going to play out?" And the odds makers don't really see it that way. I mean, what what has happened in effect here is the Braves have sort of distanced themselves from the Mets as the clear cut favorite now to win the division, and to just put some numbers behind it, you have plus one fifteen on Atlanta. Uh, to to win the NL East, the Mets have moved to plus 175. And the Phillies are still sitting there, plus 340. And I, I guess there's a few things. I'm like, well, wow, like this didn't really give the Phillies any bump. That's weird. But it's hard for me to not get over. Somebody that pays attention, and like for those of you that don't know, I, I work in the sports betting space. It's, it is my career. <laughs> I look at plus 340, and I can't tell if this is great value on the Phillies or if it's it's outright disrespectful of the Phillies, or if it's it's telling, I, I kind of find myself. Well, all right, so go ahead. Okay, you're you're the you're the betting betting expert more so than me. But I mean, I look at it and I'm trying to rationalize why it hasn't really moved the needle for the Phillies as far as the bet the betting line. And I guess my question to you back on this is, since the odds are to win the division, right? Does that, it's not necessarily saying this doesn't affect the Phillies as far as their standing in the division. It's just saying that the Braves are still such an, a, a, an overwhelming favorite that the Phillies number hasn't moved. You know, like like you're comparing the Braves to the Phillies, which is why the Phillies number is what it is. And And yeah, okay, the Mets, maybe they take a slight step back. But it doesn't affect the difference between the right. Phillies and the Braves, right? And that makes sense to a degree. It's so you are looking at the Phillies relative to the Braves, but because this is a three horse race and because there's that that in between team, typically that in between team uh, coming down in odds will bring that third team a little bit closer. Yeah, but, you know, I think that there's also something to be said for the fact that you're looking at Steve Cohen. This is an owner that that does things in a different way. Uh, I think the assumption here is that if they are competitive moving through the early summer, that they would make a trade uh, to try to uh, fortify the back end of that bullpen. I wouldn't be surprised if the Mets did one much earlier than we're accustomed to seeing. Like, I, I, I think that there's definitely a mentality in there that's like, we are trying to win the World Series. If I have to do things more aggressively, overpay, 
plug this hole like I'm going to do it. He might not follow that traditional methodology of let's wait three and a half months, see where we're at, address our needs and go from there. Yeah. And the only other thing I'll say, and Bob, this is, you know, maybe we're diving a little bit too much into, into betting philosophies, right? And, and setting lines and why they are what they are. But is this a situation, and you could tell me I'm wrong if I, if I am, um, where because it's a New York team and a lot of the way the money gets bet on New York teams maybe a little bit differently than, than others, that that's part of it too, that that's why that line hasn't moved as much as you th- would think off of an injury like this? Yeah, I think that there's always a little bit of that. Um, you know, we talk about that more in football, right, with like a team like the Cowboys. Right. You're always going to have to buy – an extra half a point or point of value or pay an extra point in value if you want to, you know, bet the Cowboys on the point spread. And so could there be a little bit of that, especially with the hype and some of the names that are yeah. tagged to this team, the owner being who he is, the way that he's operated. I think there's definitely like this totally unwarranted, like totally uh, undeserved, but there's like this mystique around the Mets for some reason right now where, oh, the Mets, you know? Yeah. So I think that there could be a little bit of a perception part of it that, that plays into this. So, I, I guess we'll see how it goes here, but I I do kind of, and the reason why I've mentioned the betting odds, because this isn't a betting podcast, it's not a gambling podcast, I get that, but like there is part of me as we, we inch towards the back end of this month, like opening day, we're, we're two weeks away from it, and we are going to start talking about what we think is going to happen this season. We are going to start making those predictions, and I'm almost mystified that you had this Phillies team that made the run that it did a year ago that has the star power, like the firepower that this team has. Like these aren't, this isn't the 93 Phillies. It's not like the, the lovable ragtag bunch that, you know, found a way to make it work. Like they're a high paid, big salary, big star power team. And I just feel like everyone's like, yeah, it was a fluke. They suck. Like from a national perspective, like, and then they go out and they add Trey Turner to me. Like, I don't know what the Phillies are going to do yet. Like I'm not there. Like I don't have a number for you yet. I don't have, like, the they're going to make the NLCS yet. I, I haven't really zeroed in on that. But what I do know is it feels like from a national perspective, this team is being discounted, like, discredited a little bit. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. I, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that they don't, I mean, from a national perspective, there's no Bryce Harper for the first half of the season. And I think you look at that and you say, he was such a catalyst for them in, in the playoffs last year, obviously. He was their best player. You take him out of the mix. And yeah, you did add Turner, but Turner's a, a different dynamic. He's not Bryce Harper, especially with the power, especially from the left side. Like, okay, they're going to be there. They're going to be in it. They're going to be part of the conversation. But d- just, you know, flopping in Turner for Harper for a half a year might not be enough to compete at the level you need to compete at to challenge the Braves in this division. I think that that's why, it's, I, I, I honestly think it's that simple as to why people are quote-unquote disrespecting the Phillies. I think that they there's a real, we've had a lot, look, I'll tell you this, this is one of the things, you know, we, talk, we talked about, you know, uh, off the air. Um, there was not a big local media presence down there with the Phillies, which is a little bit surprising, right, because of how much, interest and popularity there is but that's the nature of the industry unfortunately at this point um but there was a greater national presence while i was down there i mlb network radio was there one day when i was there jason stark was there a couple of times when i was there um buster only was there for a couple of days following the team around um so you started to see a little bit more of a national presence with this team so, yeah, yeah, I think that there's a little bit of national disrespect, but I also do feel like they recognize that this isn't, this is a, they recognize that this is a team that's going to be there in the end, probably. And there's an, in, they're, they're an interesting team that could potentially, you know, that last year might not have just been a fluke. Let's put it that way. And I, so I think that from that perspective, I still think that it's there, that they, they, they buy into the Phillies. So I, uh, yeah, I'm with you a little bit on on the disrespect thing, but I don't think it's a complete like, oh, uh, this team sucks. You know, I I think that it's I think it's more of yeah, they're good. Maybe, maybe not dis disrespected, but like almost undervalued. Yeah, undervalued. Like, yeah, yeah. Undervalued a little bit. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, look at the over-under total. I mean, again, when we go back to the betting thing, I mean, their over-under total is the same number of wins they had a year ago. Right. Like, I mean, that's that's crazy to me. I mean, I, I think you've got to bet the over if you're going to bet that game, bet the, the Phillies, right? If you want to bet the, the win total for the year, regardless of what our predictions are going to be in two weeks, you've got to bet the over. I mean, you, this team has to win more games than it won last year for two reasons. One, they're likely not getting off to an eight-game under 500 start in the first 50 games that they're going to have to overcome, right, number one. And number two, ultimately when Harper gets back, and you and I know, and I'm going to say no, we know he's coming back sooner than the day that, they, that, they, that they're giving us. Okay, barring a setback, he will be back before the All-Star break. Craig, cut it up. Have the video ready because when he comes back in June, we will play it that we're both saying this. He's going to be back in June, okay? But even once he comes back, this lineup is is top to bottom, top three or four in the game. Like, really that good. So I, I don't, again, looking at it from this point in the seat, at this point, not knowing if there's going to be any major injuries going forward, they have to win more games, at least one more game than last year, right? I yeah, think that that's a gimme. And I think you get up around that number, though, and like you said, they get off to this atrocious start. I think at one point they were nine games under a year ago. But you do have Rob Thompson, 111, and she takes over, and they go 65 and 46 over a 111-game stretch. It's 19 games over. I mean, can they sustain that pace? Right, like, are the Phillies going to play at, at that type of pace? I mean, that's I don't have the win percentage, uh, five eighty six win percentage. Like, are they going to play at that pace over one sixty two? Does it kind of just even out? Where like maybe they don't have that that run, that peak success the way they did a year ago, but they don't dig themselves the hole, and in the end, it all turns out to be eighty eight wins. I, I I don't know. Well, the other thing, Bob, I think, and then Dave Dombrowski talked about this. Um, couple weeks ago i think it was now it might be even a little bit more than that it might have been prior to the start of the spring training all these days are running together but um a lot of times when you have these projections that are made right and whether it's fan graphs projections or or the betting lines projection or whoever all the all the all the computer models that are out there um i i think that there's a real lack of foresight in growth right of certain players that's not taken into consideration. I think that he's spot on with that. I think a lot of projections are based off of what the past was and not so much of what the future can be, okay? And so when you look at guys like Alec Bohm and Brandon Marsh um, and Bryson Stott, you know, three young players who are getting better with each year that goes by, you're not giving the Phillies any credit for that. Right. I mean, the, the fact that these guys are going to do, and not just the Phillies. I mean, any team really. It's funny when I look at, you know, projections for all teams, I'm like, man, they really undervalue these, this team or undervalue these players. And it's true. They don't really project out to the growth of the, of the younger player. Right. And, and I mean, the Phillies are have one third of their lineup is young guys who are getting better. And look, Derek Hall, we talked about him last week. Another, another big, uh, big day yesterday, right. In, in spring training. He's going to be in this lineup, likely, for a lot of these games without Harper. And so there's another young player that's going to probably get better. So you look at these guys and say, well, yeah. I mean, that has to be taken into consideration, too, and I don't think it is. So that's why, to me, I, I think that the Phillies over, what is it, 87 and a half, right? Or 87? Is that the yeah. number right now? Yeah. I, it's, it's, a, it's a gimme. It's a gimme if you're betting, if you're a betting person. I think you got to take the over. Yeah, like even if you're a big Zips projection guy, I don't know if you're a big Zips guy or not, but like 85 wins for the Phillies. Yeah. 46.7% chance to make the postseason. So those projections are telling you that it is more likely than not that the Phillies will miss the playoffs. Yeah, I, I, just, don't, I don't see that. And I, I don't I don't either. I would be, uh, to be to be honest, I would be surprised if the Phillies, I'd be very surprised if the Phillies missed the playoffs. I'd be very surprised if, the field that comprised or, you know, made up last year, the National League playoff picture wasn't exactly the same this year. Yeah, it's I, same. Don't see, I don't see any deviation whatsoever. No, I think it's the same six teams. Milwaukee's the only one that's kind of like a maybe that could see it. Yeah, uh, I, I'm with you on that. I don't well, see any other team. I, I I like where Arizona's going. I think that they're they're getting there. I think that's a team that, you know, could could open some eyeballs a little bit this year with, with their young talent. Um, I mean, 
They have two good young starting pitchers there that nobody really pays attention to and Gallon and Kelly. Um, but but yeah, they're not quite there yet either in my mind. So yeah, I think I think that that's it. I think it's the six teams that were in there last year. Milwaukee's a, a maybe sneak in at, if somebody something goes wrong, and Arizona's a long shot dark horse that could be more dangerous a year from now. Who are the that's, other teams that would even be on the fringe of this conversation? Are you know I know there's some belief that the Cubs like you know on their <laughs> way back yeah, maybe. Maybe the Giants do their every other year thing. I don't. I don't like that I Giants. I don't like that Giants team. I really don't. Um, Cubs. The Cubs are the one other team that maybe maybe gets into that conversation. So really, seven, eight, nine, Milwaukee, Chicago, and, and Arizona. That's it. I mean, the, the, but they're not. I don't think that they're in for the long haul. I really don't. So I have a couple uh, questions about uh, two players specifically. We're at the point in the spring where we've pretty much talked about everybody. You know what? What our sense is of them, or what we hope to see out of them moving forward. But you talked about that that growth um, and the potential of it. Bryson Stott got off to a, a pretty rough start uh, this spring, and he really struggled in the World Series a year ago. Um, you look at the stat numbers, and, and you kind of just say, ah, "I just, I, I don't. It, it's not overly impressive." Yeah. Um, but I think we all, if, if you watch that team play down the stretch, like you respected something about his game that didn't show up in the numbers, the ability to work counts, work pitchers, foul off pitches, uh, come up with some big hits. We've talked about the it factor with him frequently. Um, you know, he, he hits the leadoff homer last night, has a couple of hits. Looks like he's finally getting his footing a little bit. Did you um, come away with anything from, from your time down there? Like, did, did you talk to him? Did you get, like, a sense looking at him up close and personal? Like, this guy is going to take a step forward? Or are you kind of just, like, in a wait and see? Like, he should be incrementally better. We'll, we'll see what happens. No, I, I think he's going to be better. Um, I, do I think he's going to suddenly turn into an, an all-star, like, overnight? No, I don't. Um, but that doesn't mean he can't be better than what he was last season. And, and I think a lot of what you saw in the second half of last year is what Bryson Stott's going to be. I mean, he's going to he's going to be a guy who the Phillies should expect to hit, you know, hit two, 250, 260, bottom of the lineup, have a little bit of pop, right? You know, can provide and, and take some pitches at really good professional at bats, um, play so, really solid defense at second base, and just be a guy that you know you can rely on to be a regular in your lineup. Like you, he's not going to hurt your lineup. I, I don't see that, and 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 I really like you know a lot of people forget too, Bob, that he's a little bit older for a young player, for a quote unquote young player, right? I mean, he's already twenty five, turns twenty six this season, um, so yeah, he's entering his second year, but he's a little bit older than than most second year players in the game, and so I think that his approach and his me- you know his mental approach to the game is a lot further along it's a lot more advanced than most second year players would be so so i no, i i i'm not going to sit here and project him to be some massive breakout candidate i don't i don't see that but at the same time i also don't see him being a guy that struggles like he did early in the season last year like he did during the world series i i, I think that he's a guy that's going to be a very solid contributor to this lineup batting eighth or ninth every day did alec bone look bigger to you he does he Is that real uh, it's real. He's physically, he's physically in bigger guy. Just he's in better shape. He's muscular now. Like he's added, he added on some weight, but it's muscle weight. I mean, and he, he just looks more like a specimen. And and you're seeing it with the way how he hits the ball. Like it's just a, the power that he has, the 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 drive of off the bat. I mean, it's not about hitting home runs particularly but it's it's the way he's hitting the ball hard and it's you can just see it and just watching even watching every day that they played at home um you know we would go up to you know you have the morning uh you know availability and you know for like an hour and then you have a few hours before the game so you're not gonna go home you go up sit up in the press box and you watch the BP, and man, it's just, it's just one, and it's, I know it's a BP, but it's, it's, it was impressive. Bohm was really impressive every time I saw him go out there. I don't know who had it this week. I read a story, it, some scouts that have seen him this spring are, are starting to talk about 25, 30 home run potential. I think that you and I said a number around like 22, 23. I'd be thrilled uh, with that. Ago. Yeah. No, and, and I would be I would be thrilled with that if if he turns himself into a thirty home run hitter though. That's and, a different. That's a, that's another level. 
you know, hit somewhere around 280 or, or a shade above. I mean, that, and that's a different, that's a different level of player that we're, we're talking about here. And yeah. one that I didn't think, you know, even as recently as his, his resurgence a year ago, um, I, I still didn't see that type of ceiling. So would be, uh, you know, not unprecedented, but certainly uh, just an ascension that, that we've not seen very often for, for him. And uh, you're talking about third overall pick, a guy that certainly comes in with some, some God-given talent, but I just never, I didn't see any of that with him. Yeah, no, I, that would be a, that would be an absolute game changer for him personally. And he, even, and even for the Phillies, remember, if that's what he became. Remember yeah. when we, when we lauded him, uh, you know, his rookie year, and at his best, it was patient approach, willing to use all fields. But we never talked about him as, as being a, anything more than a 15, 20 homer guy. You know, at best, maybe he shoots some balls into the gap. He becomes more of a doubles hitter. Mm-hmm. You know, the conversation of 25, 30 home runs, though, it just. Yeah. No, that's, that's 10 a... pounds of muscle, which I rolled my eyes at. When that, story, when that story came out, I said, oh, my God, you know, here we go. Best shape of my life, 10 pounds of muscle. But. You know, his frame, I guess, would support that, uh, and that's what makes him unique. I mean, because you say he looks like a specimen. I'll be honest with you. You stand next to him a year ago, he, he wasn't exactly, like, wiry, you know? like I mean, No, no, but, I mean, he was more, like, he was more, I mean, right, he wasn't wiry, but he was more. Like, lean, gosh. Yeah, he was like more big, lean. like, yeah, like, kind of like, like, a like he was big and, and yeah. a little bit more, a little more gangly, if that yeah, if yeah, that's yeah, the right yeah. word, right, you know? But now, now he just he's he's cut, man. He's he's hit that weight room and and he's built up. I mean, he's doing a good job with with you know from a physical perspective. Yeah. All right. Well, I have one more for you here before before we roll or whatever else you want to get to. Uh, you wrote a story this week about Nick Castellanos, and obviously he's been a frequent topic of conversation on this podcast. And you know, you have not, to, at least to my knowledge, really had an opportunity to talk to him one on one or for an extended period of time previously. Um, and we sort of just speculated about who he is and, and how he is and what he's gone through and where he might be headed this season. And I, I guess, um, you know, for, for those that, that didn't read Anthony's story, Anthony, why don't you uh, kind of uh, give everyone the sort of gist of, of what you wrote and, and just your impressions and observations, what you came away from uh, the, the conversation with there, with Nick Castiano. Yeah, it was a really good conversation, Bob. And, and you know, it was kind of a little bit unexpected that you know because nick has always been kind of a guy who just kind of gives you the you know and i hate to use this term but like the meathead answers right like it was just like oh see ball hit ball you know that kind of that kind of guy right i mean and that's whatever and that's fine i mean that's 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 just who he is and then you over you start talking to him and he's got like this whole new approach this whole zen mentality of uh, and he was sitting there explaining to like you know uh, he's the he said and this was the most important quote to me of, of all. He said, this is the most important spring training for me because it it's a matter of doing something differently than he had ever known before. He said, you know, I should just go up there. He said, I never looked for pitches. I never thought about what pitch the batter was going to throw. I was just going up there and, you know, get my bat on the ball and just drive it somewhere. Ever since I was in high school, that's what I used to always have done. Now he's, now he's, thinking about it a little bit now he's got an an idea an approach and he's narrowed he's talked about closing his box right and you know what that means but for for the people listening if they don't know it's he's limiting the area that he is looking for a ball to hit um that doesn't necessarily make mean that he's you know going up there looking to walk it's just that he's not going to swing at a pitch that's not going to be in his box that's the goal. I mean, obviously, there's still going to be a few of those, right? But there's that that are out of those out of the box. But at the same time, that is what his whole concentration has been this spring. And yeah, he did get off to a slow start as far as if you look at batting average, right? And he did he did strike out. I think it was 11 times in his first 28 plate appearances or something like that. Um, but you could see a progression now. And he leads the team in walks. Um, he has eight. And I think it's 34 plate appearances now. Um, he does have a couple home runs. He's the last few games. He's now made really solid contact a lot, not striking out. Um, and, uh, you know, it's just a, it's just a thing where his third longer at bats is being more selective. And it, it's just, a, it's not what you expect from Nick Castellanos. And he's been committed to it 
the entire month that they that he's been there. And, and you know, you sit there and say some players sometimes players tell you they're gonna do that and you, they do it for a few games and then they quickly fall back into their bad habits. And who knows? Maybe the beginning of the season, once the games start counting and the numbers matter, maybe he does fall back into those bad habits. But what we're seeing in spring training has been a commitment to this and he hasn't wavered from it. And so that's what that's what I'm impressed by. Do you think that that commitment is born out of the the failure of a year ago? Do you think that there's a sense of um, internal accountability where the player is basically saying, like, I I owe it to my my teammates, to this organization to not be the player I was a year ago? Because not all guys, not all athletes think that way. Yeah, I know. I think it's a good question. And I. I I still think it's it's something that the Phillies kind of mandated with him, um, and I it, I'll give you very little evidence that I'm going to go with that assumption. When uh, Thompson Rob Thompson was asked about Castellanos, and he was you know saying all the things that I just said about his approach and everything else that he's doing, and uh, I I followed up by asking him. I said, Rob, I said, is this something that you guys wanted to see more out of him, being more selective at the plate and and taking more pitches? And he goes, no, not necessarily. I just don't want him swinging at balls. That's all he said, right? right? But if if that's what he's saying, that's the conversation that they've had with him, right. right? We don't want you swinging at pitches out of the strike zone. Stop it. Just focus on swinging at strikes. You're going to be a good hitter if you do. And so ultimately, that's you know, it's he's got to trust what they're telling him. And again, through camp to this point, he has. Um, it's not had the batting average results that they've wanted, but that again, he's not looking at numbers at this point. It's more of the fact that he's finding ways to get on base. And I think it's important if the team recognizes the importance of this, because without Harper, Castellanos is going to be in the middle of the lineup. And he even said it, he, they've told him he's going to be in the middle of the lineup. Now, whether that's four or five, we don't know yet, but that's the spot he's going to be in and they're going to need him to be a run producer. And so therefore he has to, has to have that kind of, you know, approach when he's going up there to bat because he's going to have a chance of bringing runs. I don't know if you have anything else that you want to hit on before we get out of here. I don't know if you have a one last thing or not. Um, I do. Well, I have one. I have one quick Phillies thing, and then I do have a one last thing. Um, they're they're kind of similar. They're kind of related. Um, we're we're talking about uh, tie-ins to to new things in baseball. Um, and one of the things I wanted to, to bring up with you and I thought was really kind of interesting, um, this stemmed from the game against the Yankees on Wednesday um, when Nola pitched. Uh, you know, he was really talking a lot about like, you know, the, the biggest concern for him um, as he's building up is the up downs, right? How much time between innings that he's sitting down on a bench and then getting up to throw again. And they pointed out and both he and Rob Thompson pointed out that, um, you know, he did his pregame warm up, his whole re- routine ready to go. And in the top of the first inning in that game, Phillies had 12 batters. Yankees used three pitchers, two pitching changes. It was a long ass inning. I mean, he was sitting for 40 minutes at least on that, uh, on that dugout for the time he had last thrown a warm up pitch. Um, and the new rules, have it that, you know, it's only 2.05 now, two minutes and five seconds between innings, and that a pitcher has to throw his last warm-up pitch by the 30-second mark prior to that. So you really have, like, less than 90 seconds now to warm up between innings. And so the fact is, is he sat for 45 minutes and and then had to go out there, and they wanted him to throw his warm-up in, in nine less than 90 seconds. And so Thompson asked the home plate umpire, can he, you know, turn off the clock? And the umpire said, "No." He says, "It's spring training, man. This is one of our guys. Like this is our guy, and he's been sitting for forty-five. He's like risking injury if you don't give him a little bit more time." So the umpire agreed. Said, "Listen, I'll do it. I'll do it because it's spring training. It's a regular season, though. We can't do that." And so Thompson said, "This has to be addressed with Major League Baseball, not just because of Nola. I mean, but for any pitcher, really. I mean." You're in a situation where you're, we want to speed up the game. Okay, get it. But if you have a long inning, an umpire should have the discretion to say, okay, your pitcher needs a little extra time. Not like they're asking for... Well, is, is it umpire it discretion or do they have to bake in a rule that says, listen, if a, a half an inning goes over 28 minutes, 
then you know an extra moment will be allotted to the starting pitcher or you know any pitcher I guess at that point to to come in and and get that extra time. On the flip side of it, I'd say like, well, then maybe it's on the team and they need to accommodate it and say like, hey, listen, we need to have a, another catcher in a tunnel. And, you know, if, if we hit a certain time period, like go get stretched out underneath. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, there, there's going to have to be something. I mean, Rob Thompson's right. You can't have a guy sit there for 40, 45 minutes icing up and then and then have to go let it rip. I mean, that you run injury risk there. But, you know, baseball is either going to have to adjust or the teams are going to have to adjust. Yeah, I think I think it would be better if baseball adjusted in this instance. Don't, I mean, don't force teams because I'll think about it, Bob. You're right. I mean, that the answer is that they're going to have to go into the into the tunnel and have have a pitcher throw a little bit, right, to stay loose. But now they're all now now those are more pitches, quote unquote, that warm up pitches that are being thrown. That's going to be less time that they're actually going to be staying in the game. Yeah, because you don't know. You can't time it up perfectly. Like say right. you go. At the 32-minute mark, like, hey, I'm going to go let a couple rip here, stay stay warm. And, you know, then in the inning extends another 11 minutes. You know, there's an injury. There's a pitching change. And now, right. now you're cold again. Like, so, yeah, I mean, it, I think it probably does make the most sense to let it play out on the field and just cook a rule and it says, you know, you reach a certain time time limit, you have to afford the the pitcher additional time to to get ready yes i think that that's that's the case i think you have to sit there and say it won't hurt us to add a minute in there so that pitcher can throw look i think that what eight warm-up pitches is what it used to be prior to pitch clock between innings right no matter the length and i no one ever complained about that i think that if you just go revert back to that and say okay Eight warm-up pitches. Feel, how do you feel watching it in person? Like on TV, like you go, it's a little quicker. Did you, did you like with your eyes actually on it live say like, damn, this is moving. It, it's pretty crisp, like in and out between innings. Well, not the, not the Yankees game. That was three hours no, and 26 minutes. That's, that was a slog. That was a craziness. Um, yeah, no, you do notice it. I mean, you notice it. I, I, I'll tell you, you know, I, I think, still think it's a, they're, rushing it a little bit too much in the game i think that it could probably you know be a little bit slower like instead of 15 maybe 20 when there's nobody on base and instead of 20 maybe 30 when there's somebody on base like i think those numbers can be just adjusted a little bit and would still knock time off the game and be fine it does feel a little bit quick to me and and from a baseball perspective i think that's what you're, you're hearing guys talk about like yeah it's you know, can't we? We were t- t- trained our whole lives to do this this way, and now we can't do that, right? So, um, I, I, th- you know, but but Harper said, for example, he said he thinks that these rules will evolve too. That he thinks that they'll right. eventually, you know, find a find a happy medium. So I think it. I think while they're rushing it, I think that they're, you're also going to see games eventually go back the other direction a little bit. Not a, it's not going to get back to the average of three fifteen or three ten. But instead of being two thirty, it might be two forty, right, or two forty five, right. and and st- but you're still saving time from what you had. It just may not be as quick as these spring training games. Are done. So so that's the one thing. Um, uh, one last thing, and this is actually probably a positive. And so we'll end we'll end on a positive note with Major League Baseball. Um, I don't know if you saw the story, but the uh, MLB has partnered with Zoom. And they are going to now allow fans watching the games on TV to be able to see and hear all the video uh, replay and the conversation between the umpires and the, and the guys in the booth. And I think that's a great thing because we don't re- you never really know why a call is made. Like you kind of guess and the broadcasters kind of throw you throw you kind of maybe a bone after the fact saying, well, you know, we hear that it's because of rule X. YZ that this is why this rule was like, but you you could he- now be able to hear the entire conversation and this is something that has kind of like taken place in um you know smaller sports or even things like the freaking XFL right the XFL, I mean, I, yeah, Dean Blandino working through it he's right so, by the way he's yeah yeah I mean but I mean you know and you know you, you we kind of laugh at at those at those leaks but they are trying these things out and oh, I, I love this, that I, mean, I, I this is great I, right Terrific innovation. I mean, I, I actually I watched, I don't know if I should admit this, but I watched some of the XFL uh, the first couple weekends. And one of the things I really liked was the fact that, you, though he was horrible at explaining in real time what he was looking at, 
Um, it was kind of cool to get that insight. I would love to see the NFL do that. Like as soon as you started saying that, I'm like, yeah, absolutely. I know we're talking about the we're talking about the Phillies. We're talking about Major League Baseball. But my mind immediately went to the NFL, and I was like, I would love to hear those conversations. You know, sure, for sure. Uh, yeah, I think that that's a, a great thing. And you know, this is the type of stuff that baseball has always kind of been you know dragged for in the past. That there there's never any innovation. It's just so traditional. There there's just no creativity. So to get a, a you know development like this, I think is not only cool in a vacuum, but I also hope that it's indicative of like uh, a willingness to uh, be a little bit more, I don't know, daring, uh, a little bit more willing to uh, open up the curtain a little bit. Well, I think transparency is huge, right? In a lot of ways, because I mean, you know, there's there is that fringe uh, belief out there that you know that the sport tries to fix, you know. The script. Try to fix things. There's scripts and everything. So when you have these transparencies, it, it completely debunks that, right? So you're you're going to sit there and you're going to hear these conversations, and you're you're not going to hear, well, we want this team to win, so to make this call. You're going to hear an actual, uh, you know, rule analysis and explanation as to why this is happening in real time, so that there's there is not going to be. So I think that that's a, a huge benefit, and it's. And probably, Bob, is the reason that it's happening is because of gambling on the sport. I was going to bring it back up, and I just was like, well, do we really want to go down the, the, the gambling? But it's the uh, truth, gambling? right? I mean, that's yeah. why it's happening. I've, I've said for a long time that the moment that you legalize online sports betting, um, you owe the consumer a transparency. It's not just my team got screwed, but you're putting real regulated money yeah. that gets taxed by the government in play, you have to be as transparent and as forthcoming and and reassuring that the product is legitimate yeah. as, as you possibly can. So I think that that additional insight certainly will help alleviate that. And if you're not a gambler, uh, then you just stand to benefit by additional access, which is entertaining. Correct. Correct. I think it's a big win. I think it's a good. that's a good thing for Major League Baseball. Well, uh, we are marching along here through spring training. We're, we're almost there. I don't know about you. I will be honest. Uh, I actually have enjoyed this month. I've enjoyed doing these shows uh, on a consistent basis. I'm proud of us. Uh, but I I need I needed to to start for real now. I needed to be go time. I, uh, I I'm I'm down with the the camp battles and and what can you see from Bryson Stott and you know Alec Bohm's physique, but. I, I need something to react to. I need to. I need to get excited. And I need to get angry. <laughs> yeah, and I think, and I think that uh, the one thing I can kind of glean from my last day down there is they just want to get there too. Like they, yeah, like you, you have to hit a little bit of a rut here now, right? Where you're like, all right, we've been down here for a month. We've been playing games for three weeks. Let's roll. Yeah, I mean, they really do. I mean, it's it's now it's just about staying healthy in, in a lot of ways. I mean, yeah, you know, you know, Nola and and. and talked about you know uh, and i didn't get a chance to talk to wheeler because i, I left before the uh, game it was the night game against the tigers yesterday um but noel was saying like look i got two starts left is the next to last one will be the one that you know we really ramp up and then after that it's just you know just d don't get hurt it's just don't get hurt and they're gonna do they'll do like a simulated game on the backfield to really kind of like you know control the up downs a little bit there right but they're gonna do that with their pitchers but that's it like it's they they want out Garrett Stubbs, I talked. We talked to him yesterday. You know, he's. It looks like his injury is not bad, and he's going to be ready for the start of the season. But it's just like, you know, he's like, yeah, regular season. I'm, go, I'm go here. We're like, you know, stay healthy. I'm, not, I'm just going. I'm just going to rest. Just stay healthy. That's well, all. I, I have one question for you then, and and then we can get out of here. Yeah. But uh, you know, in light of what happened to Edwin Diaz, I don't need to have the conversation with you of like, should they cancel the World Baseball Classic moving forward? I don't even really care to have that conversation. Uh, are you rooting for Team USA, or or would you like to say, "Hey, they got out of pool play. Come on home, boys." Yeah, I know you don't want to see them get hurt. The one thing I, the one thing I will say is, is that, and I don't understand. I mean, I guess they feel the need to keep make everybody happy, but they're just alternating the players. I mean, other than Trout and Betts, I think like every other position player. It's just fuck. You have these high profile guys, and and maybe when they get into these elimination games, they just say we're, we're rolling with the best guys. But I think that. You know, Team USA and whatever uh, I guess rule or authority Mark DeRosa actually has. I think that there's 
two things here. One, you don't want to overexert the players this time of year. They're not playing every day in spring training, so you're not going to ask them to play three, four straight days in the World Baseball Classic. But then you're also asking some big-name guys, like, if you bring Tim Anderson into the fold, like, can you really ask him to to play one of the four games behind Trey Turner because he's not as good? Right. I just feel like you, if you're going to bring these guys down there or out there, then you kind of, I don't know that you owe it to him to play him, but like, I feel like you have to play him. Yeah, but I think that's what the four games were about. Now you get into the elimination round. I think you play your best guys, but I mean, I you know, I I. Like, I think like you, Bob, I'm not that concerned about it. Um, yeah, we, we know what, you know what the United States is at its, if we had every best player there, it would be tough to beat them. The I fact, think, that, the if, fact if that they, they don't. If they yeah. get knocked out in the elimination round, they don't make the final. Or Is that like a referendum on the United States baseball right now? Like, No, it's not. And that's where like, when people talk about like the importance and obviously the players are into it, and that's awesome. Like I'm actually... Uh, pleasantly surprised by the you know the I guess the want to that's coming from a lot of them but that's why I don't think in the long run it truly matters here because if they get bounced it's not going to be like the dream team taking an untimely exit you know what I mean it's like and they got a tough path man you got to they're gonna have to beat Venezuela who's been excellent Cuba who's probably would be the easiest of the remaining opponents and then probably Japan yeah, I mean, like, there's a reason that they're not the betting favorite here. I mean, like, you yeah. look at that lineup and go, like, in what world is this team not favored to win this thing? But yeah, I don't, I would be surprised if they did. Yeah, they don't have the pitching. You know, that's the thing. J- Japan's got the pitching. Venezuela's got some pitching. I think that's, th- those are the two teams that will probably play in the final. Well, and that would be, that would be one more, one more game for the Team USA, and then those boys are back. I'm glad as a real baseball podcast that we were able to sneak in some WBC talk. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for tuning in. For Anthony Sanfilippo, I'm Bob Wangel. Check us out on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, anywhere that you listen to these shows. And uh, we will talk to you soon. Thanks for tuning in.